0: How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to pause, to take a moment to notice any beauty around you, no matter how small or large, and really bask in that beauty that is available to us at any time, including our own breath. So let's just take a deep breath together here. Inhale through the nose and exhale. So good. So today I have a guest. I'm so excited. Um, I am going to read a little bit about him. So he is the author of four nonfiction books, which I think is so cool. Um, the titles: Buddha's Dog and Other Meditations, Southside Buddhist Talk. Oh, so so sorry. Southside Buddhist, Talk Thai, The Adventures of Buddhist Boy, and the forthcoming memoir, This Jade World, which I've been hearing about and I'm really looking forward to reading it. He also writes short stories and poetry. I mean, this person is freaking a master of all the things, a short story collection called The Melting Season and a poetry collection in Thailand, It Is Night. He's won a bunch of stuff. I mean, so freaking impressive, but I don't want to, I want you guys to find out for yourself how awesome he is. Um, But just also, so you know where to find him. Uh, He is one of the founding editors of Sweet Literary Confection, which actually is a journal, we'll we'll talk about it later, that I um, discovered when you first came forward with that um, at AWP and it was so fun. Um, And then he's also the Richard Thomas Professor of Creative Writing at Kenyon College. So please welcome to the show, Ira Sung Rung Rung.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Leslie Ann, for for inviting me.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you could be here. after our panel discussion and our reading together um, a few weeks ago with the Muse Writing Center in Virginia, I thought it was just really great to, um, we, had, we just had really great conversation and I want to continue that conversation here. So before we do that though, let's open up our show with Hafez's poem from The Gift. We're gonna go through a little roulette. I like putting it right at the mic so we can hear the pages. I don't know if anyone hears it though ever. all right so today's poem is called forgive the dream forgive the dream all your images of winter i see against your sky i understand the wounds that have not healed in you they exist because god and love have yet to become real enough to allow you to forgive the dream you still listen to an old alley song that brings your body pain Now chain your ears to his pacing drum and flute. Fix your eyes upon the magnificent arch of his brow that supports and allows this universe to expand. Your hands, feet, and heart are wise and want to know the warmth of a perfect one's circle. A true saint is an earth in eternal spring. Inside the veins of a petal on a blooming redbud tree are hidden worlds where Hafez sometimes resides. I will spread a Persian carpet there woven with light. We can drink wine from a gourd I hollowed and dried on the roof of my house. I will bring bread I have kneaded that contains my own divine genes and cheese from a calf I raised. My love for your master is such, you can just lean back and I will feed you this truth. Your wounds of love can only heal when you can forgive this dream. Mm. I know you have a disadvantage because you don't have the poem in front of you.
1: <laughs> that well, that was beautiful. It was a beautiful reading too. Wow. Um, mm. so I think what, for what, me,
0: yeah, speak about it.
1: I keep thinking about how this is that poem was, and, it, and it's in that last line too. But that poem was really about forgiveness, right? Trying mm. to forgive all your your past kind of sins and 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 your 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 um i think the the past that lingers within us that we can't let go of right that keep haunting mm-hmm. us like i keep coming you know i keep um getting to that i think one of the earlier lines of that was understand the wounds
0: yeah yeah the, i'll read it again i understand the wounds that have not healed in you
1: yeah yeah and i think that wow that's to me is 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 um, what what we all kind of suffer from all the time, right? Uh, yeah. These wounds that haven't healed, um, and and I love the the phrasing of trying to understand it, right? Not trying to fix it, not mm-hmm. trying to like right, but just trying to understand it, get that deeper sense of of what it means and why it's there, right? Um, yeah,
0: and- yeah, I really love the 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 differentiation you make about understanding versus fixing because this is our tendency right when we transgress when we make a mistake you know if if you're like most people we like self-flagellate we're like oh I can't believe I did that or oh my god blah 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 and instead of trying to fix it to understand I think invites um, a deeper look at who we are and how we can grow from that moment.
1: Oh absolutely one of the things I think you know that i'm always thinking about is how our culture is always wanting to solve something.
0: Yes. yes.
1: Right? Or try to find an answer. I mean, i think in many ways this is like the the issue of like communication that we have. Like we we want to we want to try to make things right. We want to have these conversations and try to say, okay, if this happens, this is going to happen. Right. Mm. And I think the, I think, I think the reason why we suffer from the things we suffer from in our culture is that we haven't sat back and really understood or see it, see it for what it really is. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny because as you're talking, I'm thinking, of course, this is where my brain goes, but uh, I'm thinking about race relations. Right. And, and I'm thinking about the the rise in awareness around racism and white supremacy and and all these things Um, and but in particular i'm thinking about the relationship between black communities and asian american pacific islander communities and how it it feels layered and complicated when it doesn't need to be but I think part of that has to do with this communication of wanting to fix something, the the solving of the problem, rather than sitting back and doing some deep listening and receiving whatever message is is coming forward. Right. Um, no, what are your absolutely. thoughts on
1: this? No, absolutely. And I think one of the things that there is a complicated history between Asian and Asian Americans and the Black community, but the Asian, um, the Asian Solidarity Organization was born in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, right? right. I mean, if you go to right. their website, that's one of the things they say immediately. Um, and I, one of the things that I keep, you know, that you you had you had just said is that you know we just need to stop and listen, right? I mm-hmm. think that's the I think that's the thing that that when we start listening, we we begin to see, especially from BIPOC communities and LGBTQ circles, that these. Um, microaggressions that we experience um on a daily right um is a shared there's a shared commonality between them right Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and 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 that's what joins us right that i mean in a sad way right that our our hurt is what joins us but Mm -hmm. at the same time there's some there's there's something beautiful about finding other groups and other people to share these things with right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And to listen to other people's stories, right? I mean, this that, that to me is the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. But what, what I'm finding is, so just to give you a little context of where, where my brain is at right now is I had watched the most recent episode of Red Table Talk with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. And mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the format, but her mom is on the show and her daughter Willow. So the three of them come and they bring a topic to the table. And um, the topic for this particular episode was talking about the relationship between Black and AAPI communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it was interesting to see the presumptions that um, Gammy had made about. Um, Asians and the Asian community. And what was interesting, they brought Lisa Ling on later and um, Michael Eric Dyson. And and Michael Eric Dyson had said, if you listen to your language, you are repeating the very language that black folks hear from white people. So I thought it was interesting that this, um, this pattern is repeated but the question that comes up is, are people listening? you know, because it really comes to this deep listening of being present and listening and not necessarily putting the onus on the other, whoever the other is, right? Whether it's I'm Asian and I'm putting it on black folks or white folks. Um, And so uh, can you speak a little bit on how maybe we can cultivate this skill of listening, of deeper listening?
1: You know what, I, it's such, it's, what a, what a, Wonderful. I mean, I think I'm going to have to check out the, the show. I, have, I think that's what a wonderful premise that is to just to mm-hmm. just uh, have this conversation through generations. Right. Like, I think that's such a wonderful thing. I, I, one of the things that, that really struck me is the idea of listening to the language in which you have within you. Right. When mm-hmm. where that language is born from. And where it has been shaped from, right? And I don't think anyone has ever phrased it that way for me, right? Um, I when I when I teach writing, I'm always telling my students, like, well, okay, let's think about all the languages within us, right? How many mm-hmm. languages do we have within us? And and we're I'm talking more than like you know one person speaking French or you know uh, Japanese mm-hmm. or whatever. I think or, to or us text language, right, right, <laughs> I, absolutely, right. We lol. Have,
0: I hear students go lol, I'm like, what? <laughs>
1: What's, what's going on? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The whole, the whole law acronymic language is, it's really, that's so new to me. Um, Right. Right. But, but I think one of the things that, that, that a lot of people aren't aware of is where language is formed and Mm -hmm. in what ways, you know, they, they put, are put together. Right. And I I talk about say my upbringing of growing up in Southside Chicago in a really working class um, area of the world um, where industry, when industry shut down, right, like it devastated the area. And so my language is born from that world. What is that world? That world is a sad world. That world is a hyper-masculine world. Um, That that world is a sexist world. Um, And so when you begin to look at you know that language that i possessed within me and i've used right um that's or sometimes subconsciously comes out right i have to now i think it's it's having to have the self awareness of who is within you and who's speaking right now mm. and and in what and what is controlling that speak you know what's shaping that right and so But that's really hard. This type of self-awareness is really quite difficult, right? Like, you know, I think, you know, for me, I try to teach my students that like this, this idea of like being self-aware of your own, what you're saying, how you say and where it comes from, where it's born from, right? But most of our culture doesn't even have that in mind, right? They just go to, they fall back to what is comfortable. And what is comfortable Mm. is usually what our culture has fed them or fed us. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And if we don't have that awareness, we just, we just do it, you know, and it's this, this unconsciousness that just then perpetuates the thing that we're like, wait, why is this happening? You know Mm -hmm. Um, that self-awareness is, is like you said, it's a, I don't like to say hard, you know, because I, I, I hesitate at labeling processes as either hard or good or bad, because then it, it, Puts this expectation in our minds of how we're going to proceed, but we'll just we'll just say for argument's sake that it is hard to create self awareness. And when people have awareness, they're like, "Well, I'm aware of that. Now, what do I do?" <laughs> you know. So, can you take us through that next step? Let's say yeah. we have somebody who's aware. Okay, I am. I'll take myself as an example. I am a daughter of immigrants. My parents um, fled martial law, so that already is a language in and of itself. As much as they didn't speak about it. You know, that's something that was very present in my upbringing. And so I have this awareness, but I'm still talking like, I don't know, like like I'm privileged and white-ish, you know, because I grew up in a mostly white environment. Um, so I have this awareness. Now, what do I do?
1: You know, it's, it's interesting because what do you do with that awareness now? One, you know, and I've been thinking about this quite a bit and I've been working on it, um, I think, right now in the pandemic in the state of world that we are, we are in we're we're faced with more internal conflict i mean there's the mm-hmm. outer the outside world is going to be the outside world that's something that you can't control and that's one thing i keep telling myself i can't control what's going on out there i can't i can i can only control what i'm doing and who i have direct effect on yes. right my family, those closest to me, right? Like those are um, people I have direct effect on. And knowing that for me, this pandemic has been, uh, has has taken my anxiety up a notch, has taken my anger up a notch. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm self-aware of those things. I'm self-aware of when I go into those modes. Sometimes I'm self-aware a little too late. Whereas I, <laughs> I act <laughs> too quickly. Right. And I say the wrong thing. Um, but even that is this type of self-awareness, right? The after is a self-awareness, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. For me is, is to, is to, is to be aware not only of the language of your reading, but what prompts, what in the body is prompting you to feel a certain way and react a certain way Mm -hmm. and I think I mentioned this in that panel we talked to I really been thinking about anytime I begin to feel a rise of anxiety a rise of of um of sadness or or conflict that 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 has that I'm faced with I suddenly just turn my arms out like this Mm. right I open note,
0: note to the audience that he is extending his arms right. outwardly so his palms are face up. Yeah. This is for it, our audio audience. <laughs> no, no,
1: yeah, that's right. So I'm turning my, my palms and it's it's a it's a posture, right, of that strips away um, power or negative power, right? Mm. Right? It's a power it's a it's a it's a it's a position of offering. Right. Mm -hmm. As soon as I do this. Right. As soon as I'm aware uh, that I'm aware that I have to do this. Right. This body action. um, Suddenly, my brain does something um, calms itself.
0: Mm. Mm. Right.
1: Um, In fact, I was thinking about getting little tattoos on my wrist so that that it's a reminder of like, okay, if you feel something, you know, um, turn your turn your um, palms up. And it's a Buddhist technique, right? It's a, it's a, it's an offering of the self. It's a giving over, um, but also it takes it, it keeps in check that anxiety, that um, whatever tension you have in the body. And I'm telling you, in the last month that I've been doing it, it has been my communication with others, my communication with family, um, has 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 been so much better. Right? Yeah. I, um, and I think to me, that's how I uh, maybe, you know, maybe what we can take away from from this is is not just the the moment of turning your palms up, but the moment of what what is your body body saying to you? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I think everything I, I tell my students, right, when, when they're writing their their work, I'm like, the, when you write about the body, the body is the most intimate thing we possess it's also the most public thing that we possess right interesting um and we sometimes take for granted our responses or our body responses right when we feel angry or sad or what all these grief jealousy it actually happens to the body first before it comes out Mm. right and so it's maybe it's maybe it's about just slowing down Mm. and just keeping in check and realizing, okay, what is my body doing right now? Why does my why does it feel like my my heart's about to come out of my chest, mm-hmm. right? Um, why is my why do I keep going to my our weird little quirks where we where we get anxious, <laughs> right? We tap our fingers or we chew on our cheeks. Like, what's happening? Right. Why is that happening? Yeah. I think yeah. if we can start catching those things at the bodily level that's going to really make us more aware of ourselves and our roles within our our world and how we, we can, you know, respond to it. Right. And I keep coming back to it. Maybe it's not about what we can, what we should do for others. I think that, I think, I think, you know, there's, I remember when I was a monk um, in Thailand, uh, all Thai men at some point have to become a monk the family it's like it's like a rite of passage so I, i became a monk um in chiang mai thailand and i remember having this conversation about buddhism and i you know even though i was born in a very buddhist family i'm i I, I always consider myself to be the worst Buddhist, right? I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know why Buddhism was Buddhism. I didn't know the difference between my Buddha who was really, really skinny versus the Buddha of say, Japan, Korea, like Northern school, right? And one of the things that he had said to me um, that that really made a, a, a kind of difference between the two, the two Buddhisms, Theravadin, Mahayana Northern school versus Southern school, is that in, in Thai Buddhism, um, the end goal is that we, we have to strive ter- towards nirvana first before we can help people towards enlightenment, huh. right? And I, I kind of, at first I thought, oh man, what a, you know, that that seems a little selfish. Like Mm -hmm. you have to help Mm -hmm. yourself first before you can help others. But then if you really start thinking about it, if your life is a mess, how can you help others? Right. right? In what way can you help others at all? And so I kind of keep thinking about that. Like, I don't think I can make a difference until I can start seeing the things within me, Mm -hmm. right, Um, that are perhaps something that is mirroring what's happening out there. Right. and try to understand that before I can start reaching out and say okay this is what this might help you right yeah, yeah. um so that, that that's something that you yeah know. well
0: it's funny you, you said it like if your life's a mess how can you help other people the thing is like if your life's a mess no people are gonna look at you and be like I don't want your help right <laughs> you know it's like you can't even keep your own stuff together like what, <laughs> what you want to help me mm, absolutely uh, pass. thank you
1: <laughs> absolutely absolutely
0: but I think I think what you said about about being in the body is really important, um, especially with this with this posture of of extending your arms out with the palms face up. It very much is for me physically. It feels like not just a gesture of surrender, but also of receiving. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 suddenly like it's almost like you're communicating with your body. Whatever happens it's going to be okay. And I am here to receive whatever lessons, moments of growth or insight are coming my way. And then we can just relax into that and, and just be okay. You know, instead of the, the gripping that we tend to do, you know, where, where our fists get balled up or our yeah. like shoulders get scrunched up to our ears, you know, and you're all like, and then you're like, suddenly you're in a boxing stance with the one <laughs> foot in front and you're ready to like punch somebody out, you know?
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I mean, these are, of course, these are, these are defense mechanisms that are just instinctual, but because that's without awareness and without, you know, presence of yeah. being in your body. Um, and so, some of the the things that I am I'm thinking about in terms of the body is how you were talking about this word respond, which I think is very important to distinguish from react. Yes. And so, how how can we cultivate a response versus a react? Because I mean, you said it yourself. Sometimes you act before. You even have the awareness to catch up to like, we don't do that yet. <laughs> you know? So how do you how do you shift from responding to like, let's say you're driving on the road and someone cuts you off and you're like, that jerk, you yeah. know, whatever, cut me off. How do you how do you shift that into a response instead of a reaction?
1: You know, that oh, man, that that is difficult. I mean, it just to take your you know, um, example of saying getting cut off in traffic, right. Um, when that happens to us, when we are cut off or when something, someone else does something to us, right. Mm-hmm. Um, someone we don't even know who are, who is in a different vehicle. Our reaction is not a reaction to them. We've given them the control mm. to get something out of us. Yeah. A response to me, the difference is our response is, is something of of responding to yourself, having a mm-hmm. response to yourself, right, um, and being aware of the situation you're in, right. Which is you're in a car, you're going 45, 55 miles an hour. Someone has just cut you off. You want to scream and yell and say obscenities and curse them out, but in the end. What is that reaction really going to get you? Right.
0: right? It releases energy.
1: It releases maybe maybe that's that's good. But what but what I find though after um say and I've done this too wherever I've reacted, right? Is that I carry that that negativity. It keeps it doesn't uh, yeah. go away, yeah. right? And so then you carry that negativity when you get out of the car and then with your you're with your kid. Right. And then, you know, say my four year old does what a four year old does to annoy me because (laughs) because he's four. Right. My then that reaction carries over to how I react to him. Right. That's Mm -hmm. the that's the thing about the reaction. There's a domino effect that I think can happen is that if we carry that negativity, that negative reaction within us, it's not just that moment that happens. It's it continues happening. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then, then it becomes, well, when are you going to w- be aware of, this, uh, of of your reaction? When are you going to yeah. be aware of what you're doing? And sometimes for a lot of people, never.
0: Right, right. Their whole life is just a chain reaction of things. Right, right. Yeah, and that, that's so interesting. I love that example of, of, of what you shared in, in terms of carrying it, because I never really thought about the, the ripple effect of a reaction versus a response until you just pointed that out. because. I think about those times, because we're human, right? Those times when I do react to someone cutting me off in traffic or whatever, and then I'll still be thinking about that, like, could you believe that guy, you know, and then whoever's in the car, you're like, you've driven like 10 minutes after the fact, and you're still like, I can't believe that guy cut me off, you know, and like, one of my kids might be like, mommy, you're still thinking about that, (laughs) you know, and then that's when I catch myself and the awareness kicks in. And I'm like, okay, I need to like, relax and it's not the end of the world, you know, and then it's, and the other thing is that it, it, that moment makes it about me when maybe it really wasn't, you know, because I always say to my kids in that particular example, maybe they're in a hurry because one of their loved ones got rushed to the hospital, you know, maybe, you know, we don't know what's going on in that car or whatever it is, but we make it about us. And then we, we, the world revolves around us. And so how do we shift our awareness from egocentric to more just being present.
1: I one of the things I love and what you said there is that sometimes we need someone to call attention to it. Like when your daughter said mom that happened like 10 minutes ago, right? Yeah. That's when that's the moment where like it okay. Oh, well, okay. I think I've carried this on too long, right? You know, my my son um, has this thing where he says to me, "Dad, you don't have the happy face on." Oh, I love that. Right? You don't have the happy face on. And he says it when, when one, um, I'm, I'm wrapped up in a, a memory, mm. or a, um, or a, I read something and it just you know, on on the news or on whatever social media that got me um, wrapped up. And he sees it on my face, right, body. He sees it in my body, my reaction. Mm. Um, and he says that, and i i snap out of it and i think one of the things is that we you know we spend a lot of time talking about what we can do uh, what the self can do Mm -hmm. but i think one of the things that is really vitally important too is to have people out there to help you see that these things too yeah right to call yourself up with it and i think it's those people we care and love the most right um um, that that can that could bring this out of us right and And for me, this betterment of the self is not so much for myself, honestly, it's to be better for them, it's to be, you know, a better, better human being to function with the people I love in a way that, um, you know, has positive energy that comes out of it instead of this kind of negativity that is ever, ever floating right around us.
0: Yeah. 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 It just brings me back to what you were saying uh, in terms of being a quote unquote bad monk and be like, wait, why do I have to go to Nirvana first? Like, (laughs) you know, like what about everybody else? But it goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording about the, the flight attendants are so wise to put your oxygen mask on first before assisting others. And I say this all the time, like what good are you passed out in the middle of the aisle during an emergency? When everyone else is like panicked and then they gotta take care of you, passed out because you didn't put your mask on. <laughs> it's like, you're not helping anybody. You're just a burden now. <laughs>
1: right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah.
0: So that's so, that's so, it's so important to think about this um, personal development, like the bettering of, of self in relationship to those around us um, as not a selfish act, but actually act in service of the people around us. And at the same time, there is this feeling of, okay, if I'm taking care of myself and that's helping others, then what else can I do? You know what I mean? Like there's this, there's this doing, um, tendency that we have because of our culture right and and we got to do 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 instead of like oh i'm just gonna be me i'm just gonna be here but it's like sometimes people are like that's not enough i gotta do more so speak to to that idea of balancing if if that's a thing the being and the doing in terms of bettering oneself and and trying to better the world i mean not Mm -hmm. to sound you know so huge and magnanimous, but <laughs> let's better the world by just being ourselves. But yeah, how do, how do you see that in, in relationship with this pressure to do?
1: I think when I think of, uh, about doing and, um, and, and to be active or proactive, um, I always say you need to gauge in, within you what you're capable of doing. right? Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I love the classroom. I love teaching. Um, I love writing. Writing is the way for me to figure out who I am Mm. and what I mean um, and where I fit in this world that doesn't seem to feed the right fit, but then there's no such thing as a right fit anyways. Right. Um, And so my way of doing right, is that I have with, you know, in front of me, you know, 18 students, you know, um, in a class that I should have important conversations about, Mm -hmm. but not only, not only conversations, but allowing them the floor to speak, to, Mm -hmm. to facilitate that space. Um, for them to to speak their mind and engage them in in, in conversations that are difficult, right? Um, and so for me, the, that that's part of part of my doing, right? It's 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 something that I know I can do. I think my writing is um, is not, you know, and is 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 it is completely a selfish thing. Um, my <laughs> writing, I I I'll, I'll just say it. I write. I write because I need to. I write because I have questions I need answered. I write Mm -hmm. sometimes because I need to let loose on something. Right. Yeah. Um, But
0: can that also be seen as part of like being and taking care of yourself? That then.
1: Absolutely. 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 The I think what's the scariest part of the writing part, writing thing, right? Um, Where you take it the next step further is, well, you've written this
0: what are you going to do with
1: are it are you going to share it right are right. you going to share that work right mm-hmm. um uh, something that say came from a very self place right um am i you know what what would happen if i were to share this piece you yeah. know um and oftentimes in that moment you know i think it's a vulnerable moment honestly mm-hmm. to share a piece of writing um Uh, to share any kind of art, but it's an, it's a moment of, you know, thinking back of what writing is and what language is is a moment of communication. I'm trying to communicate something to, you know, I want it to go beyond my own kind of mind and into the air, into the space of someone else. Right. And that someone can either respond to it or not, but at least, at least I've put it out there. Mm -hmm. Right. and I think when we look at writing and po- poetry, right, um, it's, it's this vulnerability that, that I think is so necessary and also the thing that people fear the most, hmm. right? Um, to share a vulnerable poem, to say a hard thing. Um, and so in that, in that doing part, that's what I can do. That's what I know I can do right yeah. is that i can give myself over in my writing more so than i can give myself over in person mm. there's something in, mm. in 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 language um that i feel so much more comfortable with than than my actual self right so <laughs>
0: interesting yeah yeah that's so that's so interesting because i'm thinking about how So every Monday I write a story and I publish it on medium. I mean you want to talk about sharing vulnerability. I mean that's like it's like here just take it you know like I do it so often that I I just like throw it out there and then I look away and I run away and I'm like ah (laughs) will anyone read it? Um, But this this past Monday I I wrote about um, writing the difficult thing and I was taking a look at how anti-blackness shows up in Asian um, communities Um, specifically in, in one how I was raised in, in the, you know, in my life growing up. And so I, I was thinking about that and in light of like wanting to say it right, quote unquote, to not offend people. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of the, the challenge of communication and of writing is how do I convey this story or this thing that I want to share in a way that people will receive it without compromising what I want to experience or share. Um, And, and, but it's going to be messy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be inarticulate. It's going to fumble all over the place. Like, you know, so what, what, I don't, I want to, I don't want to say advice, but like, what are your thoughts on that kind of communication where we talk about the difficult things and maybe someone's willing to listen, maybe somebody's not. I mean, again, we're, we're talking about listening, but now we're the, we're on the side of delivering some kind of communication. And so how do you do that?
1: It's not easy. Um, but I think one of the things that I keep coming back to, right? And I keep because I teach, I teach primarily creative nonfiction. One of the things I keep coming back to is um, uh, announcing your positionality, hmm. announcing to readers who you are, um, acknowledging the space, the privileged space that you occupy to write something mm-hmm. like this and share it you know, to, yeah. to everyone. I think that's important too. And also to acknowledge the difficulty of what you're trying to write about, mm. right? Um, uh, I think, and, and to me, one of the things that, that, that draws me to, to writing is that in my writing, I can announce my flaws and be upfront with my flaws, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I can also say, listen, I know this. I know my flaws. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. I may not say the right thing, right? But but could we have a conversation about it? But I have to announce that to my readers yeah. first. Yeah. Right. I think position positionality is important because sometimes we get these these like these essays about this is what you need to do. This is what we need to do as a culture. This is the notice, the inequalities and all this, you know, of this stuff. But, but the readers don't know who you are.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: Right. Um, They don't know the life you've lived. Um, And I think to me by, by saying this is who I am and, and, um, and this is what I, this is what I know. And this is, these are the things I don't know Mm -hmm. and I don't have all the answers. Yeah. But, right, I think that opens it up for conversation, right? Yeah. That opens it up so that's that that readers don't feel like they're being written at.
0: Right. And that's important.
1: Yeah, And so I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's how I think about it too. I think the more I think because I have, you know, I have a lot of students who, who are who are who are privileged and white and and they they are coming they want to talk about race and they want to talk about these things um, but i want them to also acknowledge where they are and who yeah. they are and i yeah. you know I, I i am the same way i need yeah. to acknowledge that i teach in academia i am really lucky to to have this space i'm really yeah. fortunate to have this space of um to write and have people listen, right, or, Mm -hmm. or read. Um, I acknowledge that, I acknowledge that. Um, And I'm, I'm humbled by that. In fact, it's my humility, actually, in the end, that keeps me writing. Mm. And it's not the, the aspect of, well, I have something to say. Yeah. Right. Um,
0: But you can have something to say too.
1: (laughs) And be, and be, and be completely humble about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also think intention is important too, because, you know, I mean, including positionality, I mean, we could, we could have somebody who's like a person of color and their intention may not be so beneficial to the collective, you know, so to speak. So, so that, that, that's another piece I think can be revealed in whatever people are creating and sharing um, as far as writing or any kind of communication goes. So I'm, as you were talking, I was thinking about the poem that you read um, at this reading we did at the the new center, the um, the Muse writing center, and um, the one that was because you know yeah. you had this litany of because and what I um, and for those listeners who who missed the reading um, it was it was a, a basically what Ira had said was this permission to vent to express anger and to release and I thought that was really important to. Um, to communicate because the poem was was really powerful and it, it brought in both large and small things, you know, as far as like what are we frustrated with, what are we fed up with, and let's express it, let's lay it out on the page. And I and I am thinking about how um, sometimes we need that permission, you know, to to just say what we need to say and this is this is beyond the reaction versus response thing this is pure expression of of emotions um and so how do you how do you how did you using this poem as an example how do you harness that kind of Emotion and energy into, into art, because some people they want to, you know, punch somebody, <laughs> some people they want to, you know, like burn stuff, um, you know, acts of violence. So what, what do you do when you feel this, I don't want to call it negative emotions, but these, these darker emotions, when they, when they rise up, what, what's your way of managing, handling, whatever, doing with them. I,
1: what I what I can say about um, the the piece you're referring to is called um, because uh, the Ferguson verdict, which was my reaction to um, the ruling, um, uh, was was not to actually censor myself and just let it go right? Um, to let it go on the page. And one of the things that I, I and I haven't been, I hadn't done this. Um, and I knew this was uh, something that I think there's something going back to the body again. Um, I, I hand wrote it. I didn't love type that. it. Right. Love I handwrote that. And what I, know, one of the things I love about handwriting, especially in a notebook is you can tell how hard you're writing and how mad you were writing from the imprints yeah. of the words in the next page. yeah yeah. and so that told me a lot about my state of mind was how hard I was I was I was pushing into that paper Mm. right um and 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 I just I for me I just needed to to let it go now you had said like what do you want to do when if you have this urge to these you know the hit to burn to do whatever right um my thing is you need to find the thing that, that I always, I, this is what I tell my students, find a thing that saves your life, right? How do you Whatever do that? you do, find a thing that saves your life. It's a life, you know, it's a lifelong <laughs> pursuit. Yeah, For yeah. me, the thing that saves my life is writing, mm. um, you know, and that's the thing I turn to now punching someone, burning something down is not going to save your life mm-hmm so where do you what in what what medium what thing do you need to do that has saved your life right i've no i know a friend who what saved her life when she was going through dark dark times was yoga yoga mm-hmm. saved her life
0: mm-hmm.
1: right yeah. Yeah. um uh so that's the thing, right? I mean, I th- I don't know. I don't think there's anything else. Like, how do you how do you vent all this power? I think you just need to find the thing that you can do safely, yeah, right. But still not censor yourself, and mm-hmm. allow these things to come out. And so when I wrote that piece, I didn't censor myself. I let it go, and the piece was um. Uh, it's it's one large block paragraph, that goes on for four pages, right? Um, in the original, it was one long block paragraph that went for 10 pages. Wow. Right. Wow. And so once I had done the thing that I needed to do to get everything out, um, then then that writing mind kicks in, right? The other part yeah. kicks in. The yeah. more rational part kicks in and says, okay, let's find shape. Let's find rhythm. Let's, yeah. find, let's find music now, right? Um, even, even our anger is a type of music though, when you think about it on the page. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that you make that distinction too, between like the first initial surge of, emotional charge when you're writing something, even if it's not anger, maybe like you're so in love with somebody, right? Or you feel so joyful, like you get that you get that surge and you're just like, oh, I gotta write a poem and then you write it down. And and I have students that do this too. And then they're like, okay, I'm done. You know, they're like, I wrote the poem, I'm done. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you kind of have to shape it. So I love that distinction between, you know, here's the, the raw 10 written by hand pages now the writing brain is on and we're gonna take a look at it and see how we can make some music with that, some shape. And I think that's a really important um, distinction to make between that raw energy and what I like to, what the analogy I like to, to give is like that initial draft is sort of like you vomiting <laughs> the, um, the clay for the potter wheel. And then revision is you being the potter, spinning that wheel, and making it a pot.
1: <laughs> yep. And then
0: all my students look at me like, what?
1: <laughs> right. No, no. I, I call that initial, I call it the discovery draft. Like oh, it's not that. the first draft. It's the discovery draft because you're yeah. allowing yourself to put whatever you need to put on and um, allowing that subconscious part of the brain. Mm-hmm. to do some work to do a lot of the work right to discover yeah. things that you hadn't known going into writing that piece that's the beauty of writing honestly is that the more you write and it actually happens more when you do it by hand the yes. more you write by hand um, things will come out that you hadn't even known mm-hmm. were there right mm-hmm. yeah um, and that's that's and that's <clears throat> to me it's those moments that heal actually Mm -hmm. More than the moments of like just venting it all out. It's those moments of like discovering something. Right. And then you go on that road, you take that road and see where that leads you.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love what you said there because what I'm finding lately with, with my writing of poems is that I will sit down and I will start, right. I'll start with a notebook, a pen in hand, and I'll just start on, you know, maybe a phrase that I'm like, oh, that's interesting or an image or something. And I'll just write. And I'm like, really? Do I want to write a poem? Blah And I find as I continue, then something opens up. An unexpected thing pops out of nowhere. But meanwhile, it's the subconscious because, you know, 95% of our lives are run by the subconscious. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, let's follow that. And I'll just keep writing. And then this whole thing unfolds that I never knew was coming. Absolutely. And so there's like so much magic that, We conscious beings, (laughs) which way are we using the word conscious? Um, You know, we're not, we're not really present to because we don't make space for it. And I think that's, that's the key. That's important for, for us to, um, to think about how we're being in our bodies, to think about like where language is coming from is to think about space and giving space to the things that are inside of us that we're not even aware of. Mm
1: -hmm. In when I, one of the things, the trick, even if for me, a a trick that I do to my brain is that when I don't, when I feel like I'm exerting too much control, Mm. right? One, I know something's wrong. Like (laughs) I'm trying to hide from something. Um, Uh. I'm trying not to write something, right? Um, One thing that I like to do is I turn off my computer screen. Ooh. And I write without seeing the words that, are, that come out, right? Because That's the truth that way sure. you're not bound by sight now. Mm-hmm. You're not bound by what you're seeing and, and, and your brain isn't allowed to process. But now when you look at a dark screen as you're writing, right, you're just writing. Yeah. And you're letting the brain take control and not the fingers, which I think is in- interesting way, because yeah. when I look at it, if I'm revising, I'm on the paper, my fingers tells me, okay, I'm looking at it and I'm telling, my brain's telling me, okay, you want to delete that. So you press, 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 press. Yeah. But when you shut that off, right? And suddenly what you're writing is coming directly from here. You, you remove yeah. one filter, you remove one thing. Yeah. So...
0: I like that. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to make that a rule at some point for my students because what I find is that and and I, I, you know, for my listeners who are like totally not relating to any of these student conversations, it's still a learning thing that you guys can <laughs> take away. Um, but what I find is that they, they censor themselves and edit themselves before the thing even oh, yeah. emerges, right? Because they they do everything on the keyboard. And I insist on writing by hand and they're all moaning about it. And, you know, oh, it takes so long, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but that's where the magic is. But some of them, you know, they insist and they do their thing. And they're like, I typed this up. And then, I was deleting, and I see them. Like sometimes pre-COVID, we're in the classroom, they whip out their laptops, and then I'm like, "All right, we'll try this way," but then we're going back to writing by hand. But I see them pushing that delete key, and I'm like, "Hmm, you know, you're 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 closing that door on possibility." So I like that that trick of turning off the screen. Turn off the screen. Yeah, with laptops, I think we'll just like tilt the screen down a yeah. little bit and just. Or even just like I'll bring blindfolds to class.
1: Absolutely, no, that's a great idea.
0: Put some eye masks on. Go.
1: Yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea. Oh.
0: Oh, Ira, this was such a great conversation. I really loved all of the stuff that we talked about, we talked a little bit about presence and being, communication and language um, and writing, of course, of course, writing. So I wanted to um, close our episode with a poem. Did you have something you'd mm-hmm. like to share with the audience?
1: Yes, I do. Um, so this is a poem by the poet Roske and it's a poem that I encountered uh, a few years ago, um, a year ago. Uh, and it, it made me think about the power of art it made me think about what claudia rankin talks about when she says that as writers we should begin writing counter narratives to what is already out there right and when i tell my students that when i tell my students well write the counter narrative what's the counter narrative they always find counter narrative to be um an, a pointing out of the Unjustice, the injustice in the world um, almost uh, writing an angry poem or writing or something that is hmm. that is is radically charged right this one doesn't do that and it's a small poem and I find this to be a counter narrative hmm. it's called a small needful fact you know this poem it's a beautiful poem yeah oh my um, God, Ross
0: is my favorite person uh,
1: <laughs> a small needful fact is that Eric Garner worked for some time for the Parks and Rec Horticultural Department, which means, perhaps, that with his very large hands, perhaps, in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some plants, which, most likely, some of them, in all likelihood, continue to grow continue to do what such plants do like house and feed small and necessary creatures like being pleasant to touch and smell like converting sunlight into food like making it easier for us to breathe
0: mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm love that poem love that poem yeah (sighs) ira thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciated it um such good stuff and for those of you who are curious about where to find his work i'm going to put all his information in the show notes so you guys can find his work there uh and that's a wrap so we'll close the episode as we always do the divine light may bows to the divine light in you until next time Namaste. Namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gian Yogi, S U R Y A G I A N Y O G I. Or visit my website to learn more at SuryaGian.com. Your best healed life starts now.